Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus said, he who would save his own life will lose it. But he that will lose it for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. There is this oxymoronic principle of scripture that when you lose, you win. And when you give, you gain. It doesn't make human sense. But God told us his ways were not our ways and his thoughts were not our thoughts. In fact, the way he thinks, the distance between his thoughts and our thoughts is the distance from the east to the west. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but from a human perspective, those can never meet. Every step you take towards the west moves the point of the east. You're never going to approach God's knowledge. You're never going to approach the way he thinks. And therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. Give yourself away. You may be seated. I don't know. How many of you have ever been to a, uh, a, uh, something similar to this, like an aquarium or, or SeaWorld? Has anybody ever been to SeaWorld, one of the SeaWorlds? Okay. If you ever go to one of the, one of the uh, shows there, you know they have this, this area. They call it the Splash Zone. You all know the Splash Zone? You know what I'm talking about? It's a warning. If you sit there, it means that whatever the show is, whether it's, it's dolphins or it's, it's, it's uh, whales or it's whatever it happens to be, that, that you're going to get splashed in the splash zone. Well, for those of you that weren't here this morning and came out because you were outside the splash zone, my father-in-law informed me that he was inside the splash zone and that he concurred 100% that his experience in church this morning would not have been the same had he been watching online. <laughs> For all of you that the cameras didn't cover the complete distance of my leap into the pit, I landed right in front of him. I don't know if I'd have gotten more distance, what I would have done. Broke the chair, broke his leg, and broke me. I don't know. Anyway. I did not plan that this morning's most memorable moment would be me flying off the stage, but stay tuned because I do need to examine the pit and I'm going to use several things that I produced this morning to make the point. Um, let me again emphasize to you, and I'm going to do this several times uh, within this sermon series, that Chase the Lion is meant to present to you and provide for us a narrative and a theme and a metaphor. So we're really not talking about lions. We're really not talking about chasing lions. We're not talking about being big game hunters. It, that is not the point. But rather it is to take a biblical narrative that allows us, and this is the genius of Scripture, by God revealing himself within Scripture, he provides for us the ability to relate to those stories and to bring them forward into our time and into our space. And so that narrative that we began this morning in specific, and I'm going to hit a couple of points very quickly in reminder of that, and then as we unpack that narrative tonight, uh, going further within it, that narrative is meant not just to be about a lion or about a man, or about a pit. But rather it is to be a, a way, a theme, a metaphor for us to be able to understand what God is calling us to today. So I want to emphasize that to you. Um, second thing I want to say is that if your life 
and God's vision for your life does not scare you, if it does not scare you, then you're thinking too small. And I need to emphasize this point. I need to drive this point home. This is not about success. The most, in one sense it's not, the most successful life you can live is the life he has planned for you. There is no greater fulfillment. With that life will come sacrifices, but with that life will also come blessings. But there is a basic understanding that the best life I can live is the life he has for me. Now, that doesn't mean you always feel like it. doesn't mean you always agree with that. There are times, for instance, when I was sitting in Mexico trying to get home, and I had this series. It was burning within me. By the way, I looked up. This, this series, as I mentioned this morning, was birthed in me in the month of September. This is probably the longest that anything has sat and percolated inside of me. Uh, when God began to deal with me, and so I wanted to get home, and there was snow on this end, and there was rain on that end, and hour after hour went by, and I said to God, see, if you had just let me do what I wanted to do, I would be at least a millionaire, if not a billionaire, and I would own my own plane, and I could be going home. Of course, I wouldn't be going home to preach. I'd be going home to be carnal. So there are times when we question whether, in fact, the life he is providing, the plans he has for us, the vision that he has for us, is this the best, God? Do you really know what you're doing? But at the end of the day, as Christians, we make a decision that his vision for us, his plans for us, is the best. But if they don't scare you, you're thinking too small. God, by definition, can think bigger than what you're able to accomplish. And that is the whole point. That is the reason that you need God. Now, push that forward, and I need to again emphasize that not only is that true of you individually, but that is true for us as a group. God has such big plans for this church that unless he rescues us, those plans will destroy us. And as I have talked over this last year, this last year that we just concluded, 2016, if you joined us during that time, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and I'm excited to see some of you here tonight. It was the year of the plumb line. Plumb line is a, is a mechanism for measuring things, to make sure that they're square up, to make sure that they're the way that they're supposed to be. And there's all kinds of things that over time have gotten out of alignment. It's not about intent. How many of you realize that when you buy a car brand new, it comes aligned? How many of you expect to drive that car for its entire life and never realign it? Brian, you expect that? Good luck, buddy. Have you ever succeeded? Have you ever succeeded? Now I know why Lynn looks so... Um, worn when she comes to church. Your car's out of alignment. No, you have to realign something. There are circumstances that happen. There are holes in the road. There are all kinds of things. There are tires that go bad. There are all kinds of circumstances that come in, and you have to realign. You have to realign. You have to realign. Okay? That is what we are in the middle of. 
It's a realignment. It's not moving mission. It's not moving what God has planned. It is realigning. It is making sure that we're where we're at. But when we realign, when we look at everything and we suddenly go, eh, that needs to go. That needs to stay. Oh, we need to change that. If God does not help us, we're going to blow up like an atomic bomb. I'm just putting it out there. Just telling you right now. Okay? God has such big plans, though, that we must realign. It's absolutely essential. The good news is, is that even though everything screams at us, as I said this morning, run. Everything tells us, run. This can't turn out well. Lion chasers overrule that message. They choose not to believe that, instead believing that their God is the Lord of the lions. And I believe that tonight. I believe it with all of my heart, and I have staked everything on it. Whether he tames those lions or he slays those lions, bottom line is he's Lord of the lions. Can everybody say amen? amen. And it is that premise, it is that premise that in this narrative, with this theme, using this metaphor, I'm going to attempt to articulate to you a bigger picture. Literally, it is the picture that is the rest of my pastorate. So that what we have to do this year is put in proper perspective. Perspective is an important thing. Perspective, without it, you can take big things and make them small because you have lost perspective. And you can take little things and make them big because you've lost perspective. Perspective is the relation in size, proportion, importance of one thing to another. There is some work we're going to do this year as a church. But it's not the whole picture. It's one piece. And so you're going to have to let me unpack through this series a larger picture that is multi-year. And when I unpack it, it's going to scare the snot out of you because it scares the snot out of me. That's why I have confidence that God is in it. You say, well, what if it's just you? Well, then I'll be eaten alive. Well, what if it's just me? Then you'll be eaten alive. Some of you have things within your own personal life that in the midst of this realignment, in the midst of this challenging that God is doing in the church, he's also going to personally challenge you. He's going to step into your life and say, you're not living as large as you can. You're not going to places that I want you to individually go. They're linked. They're tied together. You got to believe. You got to, because everything in your mind is going to say, run, 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 run. There's no way I want to jump in the pit with the lion. Run. But we've got to believe that he's the Lord of the lions. Got to believe it. All right? All right. For those of you that weren't here this morning, I'm going to run the film one more time. Okay? Because you probably didn't get to see it online very well. And then we jump right into the series, and I'm not showing that film again. I'll put a clip up online if you really like it and want to watch it. But here we go. A.V.?
So, who's the goofball that chased a lion into a pit? Who would be crazy enough to do this? So tonight I'd like to talk to you about a man named Benaiah. That's his name. That's the guy that was crazy enough to chase a lion into a pit. And I want to start with um, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 35. Now what I'm doing is I am fast-forwarding to the end of his life. And this verse tells us that then the king, and you can read the context, in fact, tonight I'll unpack it for you, this king is King Solomon, the wisest, most powerful, and richest king that Israel ever had. Then the king appointed Benaiah to command the army in place of Joab, and he installed Zadok the priest to take the place of Abiathar. This man who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day, this man was the commander-in-chief of all of the armed forces of Israel. And that is the problem. You and I always want to go to the end of the story. But you can't go to the end of the story. You have to start at the beginning of the story. So tonight I want to talk about this man named Benaiah by backtracking how did he end up being the commander-in-chief of all of the armed forces of Israel. What was the mechanism? Scripture tells us in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, that when Solomon took rulership over Israel, King Solomon now ruled over all of Israel, and these were his high officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, was the priest. Eli Horeph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were court secretaries. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahialut, was the royal historian. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, was in charge of the district governors. Zabad, son of Nathan, a priest, was a trusted advisor to the king. Ahishar was manager of the palace property. Adoniram, son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. This was King Solomon's officials, his cabinet, if you will, his top-level people. These are the people that he would have met with on at least a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, as he fulfilled his promise to his father and to the Lord God to rule Israel with wisdom. In the midst of them is this man, Benaiah. How'd he get there? What is it that brought Benaiah to this place of prominence, to this place of power, to doing great things, to being important. See, the problem with us when we approach our lives is we all want to have success. We all want to succeed. Most of the time, it's carnal. 
But even when you submit that to God, even when you take that away and you put yourself into the hands of God and you say, God, I'll do whatever you want to. I'll give myself away. Use me however you choose to. We still miss the point that you do not get to the end point right away. You can't know the end from the beginning. It's not how it works. Second Samuel Chapter number 8 tells us that David reigned over all of Israel. Okay? So he reigns over all of Israel. David is the father of Solomon. And then it lists David's cabinet. Joab, son of Zeruai, was commander of the army. We already heard this referred to earlier. Benaiah replaces Joab. But in David's tenure, Joab... The son of Zariah was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. See, it's sounding like the same list, right? Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was the court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. And David's son served as priestly leaders. So now we have a picture of a man who's not the commander-in-chief. He's not head of the armies. He's head of David's bodyguard. It's an important position. It's an important place. But it's not as important as commander-in-chief. Less responsibility. It is from that less responsibility. It is from that place of less responsibility that he made choices that led to him becoming commander-in-chief. Because as David's head of David's bodyguard, he had a decision to make. In 1 Kings chapter 1, David has grown old. I'm skipping the first four verses. You can read about David as he's grown old. It's right before his death. David has two sons. One of them has decided he's going to become king. His name is Adonijah. Verse 5 tells us, in 1 Kings chapter 1, about that time David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. In the life of a kingdom, this is the worst scenario. Everybody in that kingdom has to make a choice. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You have to choose what is going to, which way am I going to go? Everyone in Israel had to determine whether they believed Adonijah and was he ultimately going to become king. If he did not become king, but they chose to side with him and believe he was to become king, it could cost them their lives. But the opposite was also true. If they did not choose Adonijah and he became king, it would cost them their life. Scripture tells us that Adonijah provided himself with chariots and charioteers. He recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom. Those of you that don't know your Bible or don't remember, Absalom was another son of David's who had risen up and tried to take the kingdom from his father when his father was much younger and in full strength. 
And, like his brother, he was very handsome. Adonijah took Joab, the same Joab we've already heard, commander of the armies, son of Zeruiah and Abiathar, the same Abiathar that was replaced, the priest into his confidence, and they agreed to help him become king. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, yes, the same guy who came in and told David, you're the man, you're the one who killed the sheep, you're the one who stole another man's wife. Shimei, Ray, and David's personal bodyguard refused to support Adonijah. Adonijah went to the stone of Zoheleth near the spring of Enrogel, where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves. He invited all his brothers, the other sons of King David, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the king's bodyguard, or his brother Solomon. Choices, people. They cost. Choices. They matter. Is everybody with me so far? Remember, we're setting up a narrative, a theme, and a metaphor. I want to be commander of all the armies. As commander of the bodyguards, choices had to be made. They mattered. Adonijah setting himself up to be king, but he doesn't invite Nathan the prophet. He doesn't invite Benaiah, who's head of the king's bodyguard. He doesn't invite the king's bodyguard, and he doesn't invite the next king. Verse 11, then Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, haven't you heard that Haggath's son, Adonijah, has made himself king, and our Lord David doesn't even know about it? If you want to save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, follow my advice. Go at once to King David and say to him, My lord the king, didn't you make a vow? Didn't you say to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And while you are still talking to him, I will come and confirm everything you have said. So Bathsheba went into the king's bedroom. He was very old now, and Abishag was taking care of him. Bathsheba bowed low before the king, bowed down before the king. What can I do for you, he asked her. She replied, my lord, you made a vow before the Lord your God when you said to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. But instead, Adonijah has made himself king, and my lord the king does not even know about it. He has sacrificed many cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and he has invited all the king's sons to attend the celebration. He also invited Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But he did not invite your servant Solomon. And now, my lord the king, all Israel is waiting for you to announce who will become king after you. Just because somebody says the king has chosen me doesn't mean it's true. Adonijah 
took all the accoutrements and set himself up as king. Bathsheba says, you've got to make a decision here, David. And the decision of the king is what carries weight. Now, who's present? Benaiah. He's not been invited, nor has he sided. He's stuck to the king. The king looks old. The king is old. The king looks like he's losing control of his kingdom. The king is about to die. There would be those who would say, Beniah, you should be going with the commander of the army. You should be going with the priest. What are you doing? David's on his deathbed. Verse 21, if you do not act, my son Solomon and I will be treated as criminals as soon as my lord the king has died. While she was still speaking with the king. Sorry, Carrie, I messed you up. Go, go to the next slide. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived. The king's officials told him, Nathan the prophet is here to see you. Now remember, this is the same guy that came in last time, pointed a long finger at his, at his nose and said, you're the man. Told him he was going to lose a son. Told him the Lord was displeased with him. Nathan went in and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Nathan asked, my lord, the king, have you decided that Adonijah will be the next king and that he will sit on your throne? See, life circumstances sometimes have a way of showing up and looking at you and saying, the decision's been made. Some of you here tonight need to hear me. The lion you think has killed you. I'm here tonight to tell you, no, he hasn't. Because until the king has made the decision, it's not over. Circumstances want to insinuate themselves into our lives and say, it's over. There's no hope. There's no answer. And because you don't know the answer and because you don't have the hope, you start to believe it. Until the king has spoken. Remember, I'm using a narrative, I'm using a theme, and I'm using a metaphor. Until the king has spoken, it is not over. The decision is not made. So Nathan the prophet comes in and says, hey, king, have, have you made the decision? Is Adonijah the next king? Is he the one that will sit on your throne? Verse 25, today he has sacrificed many cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and he has invited all the king's sons to attend the celebration. He also invited the commander of the army. In fact, the commanders, multiple, and Abiathar the priest. They are feasting and drinking with him and shouting, Long live King Adonijah. Guess the decision's made, right? See, that's the problem. We live in a world and we live lives in which things, decisions, choices, and circumstances attempt to set themselves up in our lives and say, this is done. You have no more choice. There is no way you can recover from this. There is no way that it can be any different. And I'm here tonight to tell you, you've got to be a lion chaser. You've got to go after that which says this cannot happen. It's too big. There's no way that the circumstances will allow it because you believe that the king who's lord over the lions, his word is final. His word defines what happens, 
not circumstances, not even your poor choices from the past, not even your lack of ability. He says he's king. What's your choice, king? Verse 26, but he did not invite me. He did not invite Zadok the priest or Beniah or your servant Solomon. I'll never forget my father taught me a principle. This was when I was a young lad. There were pretty girls in the church. And they wouldn't talk to me. They weren't nice to me. They were snotty to me. They were mean to me. Looking back, I now know what he already knew. These were girls that I didn't want to have anything to do with. Y'all know what I mean? They were walking down paths that I didn't want to go down. They were, and I remember complaining to my dad, and, 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 and he looked at me and said, Son, you've you, you got to understand something. The fact that they don't see you is a good thing. The fact that they don't talk to you is a good thing. The fact that they didn't invite you to the party is a good thing. The circumstances don't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. It looks like you're being left out. It looks like you're being left behind. It looks like you're being abandoned. But please understand, the fact that at this point, Benaiah, head of the king's bodyguard, is not being invited to the next king's party is the best thing that could have happened to Benaiah. The circumstances in the moment look bad, but it is the best thing that could have ever happened to him. It looked like a lion that was going to eat him alive and he was going to lose his life, but it was the very thing that was going to propel him to be the commander of all the armies. You cannot, you cannot live your life being defined by your circumstances. You say, well, we've got to be practical here, Steve. Yeah, I understand we've got to be practical. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, there is a time as God instigates it, as God leads it and guides it, there is a time where you need to take a flying leap into a pit going after a lion and saying, God, you better be with me because if not, I'm eaten alive. You can't take your cue off of what is in your circumstances and is around you, but you've got to take your cue off of knowing that he's Lord of the lions. Verse 27. Nathan again pushes the point. Has my lord the king really done this? Have you really chosen Adonijah as the next king without letting any of his officials know who should be the next king? It's a lonely place to walk with God. I'm going to say that again. It's a lonely place to walk with God. But there is no better place to walk than with God. You want to live your life big? You want to have a life that is way beyond your capacity? Then you've got to learn how to walk with God alone. People will be around you and say, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's scary. Don't do that. You might fail. It might eat your life. Don't do that. That is what separates you from the crowd, is going where no one else will go, doing what no one else will do, and being willing to trust that God is the Lord of the lions. What's your choice, David? 
Now, you already know Nathan's kind of dingbatty, right? I mean, what kind of dude walks in to the king who was a shepherd, tells him a story about a little cuddly sheep, because you know David had cuddled many of those sheep out on those hillsides, held them in his arms, loved sheep like everything. Tells him about one that was a pet. David probably had multiples that had been his pet, the one that he kind of liked the best and, and, and kind of took care of. It. Tells him the story about it. Then tells him about a big bad man who comes and steals that sheep from somebody's house and kills it to feed his friend when he's got a whole flock. And David's livid. David's king. David's powerful. David's got all the power. Nathan's the dude who sets that story up and then points his finger at his nose and says, you're the man. Can I just tell you something? That, that, that's not a recipe for getting ahead. Well, let me rephrase that. That's a recipe for losing your head. So Nathan's a little dingbatty already. You already know. So you got to understand, prophets don't care. I don't know if you know this, but preachers, pastors have to have a heavy dose of profit. Now, I, I, I try to care when I'm out there, but when I get behind this pulpit, I'm telling you right now, I get into modes where I don't care. You want to know, did I plan to run off that platform and run through the air like that? No, 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 but I don't care. When you're under the anointing, when you're under the direction of God, you don't care. Nathan is not sweating it right now. Beniah is. Nathan's already risked his life. Nathan's gone here many a time. Nathan's pointed his long finger at this king before. Nathan is crazy. Okay, you got my picture? Nathan's crazy. Nathan goes all kinds of places. Nathan has done this before. He's got God at his back, but Benaiah doesn't know for sure. Benaiah's drawing on something. Or he'd have never made the choices he made. Verse 28 tells us that King David responded, call Bathsheba. So she came back in and stood before the king. And the king repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives who has rescued me from every danger. Does somebody see that phrase right there? I can't re-preach this morning, but in the very moment where a final decision is to be made, as surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger? See, this king is not in the dark. He understands step after step. We only know a few of the stories where he's gone and grabbed the lion by the mouth or the bear by the mouth or he's gone against the giant. He's had repeat after repeat after repeat living a large life. He lived a life so large that despite him being an adulterer and despite him being a murderer he became the man after God's own heart I'm telling you who you are you can be bigger than what you think you can be you can go better than you think you can be when God gets in your corner when God rescues you you'll do more than what you're able to do he's old he's dying he says surely as the Lord lives the Lord who rescued me from every danger your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. <sighs> Suddenly, Benaiah is in a whole different spot. See, everybody wants to climb out of a pit and go... I killed a lion. You don't get to climb out of the pit with the carcass of the lion 
until you first leaped into the pit with the lion being alive. You can't play it safe, church. You can't have a plan B, plan C, plan D. You can't hold a little back as Ananias and Sapphira tried to. It's either all or nothing. Bathsheba, verse 31, bowed down with her face to the ground before the king and exclaimed, may my Lord King David live forever. Well, he didn't. He died. Bathsheba's prayer nonetheless. Then King David ordered, you listening? Call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. Recognize those names? Those three names showed up in Solomon's cabinet. You seeing it? When they came into the king's presence, the king said to them, Take Solomon and my officials down to Gihon Spring. Solomon is to ride on my own mule. There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then escort him back here and he will sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Look at verse 36. See, when you're willing to run into a pit with a lion, it gives you access to things that no one else gets access to. Amen. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, replied, May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, decree that it happen. And may the Lord be with Solomon as he has been with you, my Lord, the king. And may he make Solomon's reign even greater than yours. See, everybody wants to be there at that point. But you have to make choices before it's clear. You have to make choices before it's safe. You have to make choices when the lion's still alive. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to Gihon Spring with Solomon riding on King David's own mule. By the way, kind of funny imagery there, isn't it? Israel, your redeemer, will come to you riding on a mule. I don't have time to unpack that, but you all can fill that in for free. There, Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Adonijah and his guests heard the celebrating and the shouting just as they were finishing their banquet. When Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn, he asked, What's going on? Why is the city in such an uproar? While he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Come in, Adonijah said to him, for you are a good man. You must have good news. <laughs> Not at all, Jonathan replied. Our Lord King David has just declared Solomon king. The king sent him down to Gihon Spring with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and, yep, 
Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, protected, protected by the king's bodyguard. They had him ride on the king's own mule, and Zadok and Nathan have anointed him at Gihon Springs as the new king. They have just returned, and the whole city is celebrating and rejoicing. That's what all the noise is about. See, everybody wants to get on board when the noise is happening. You don't get access to the big life. You don't get access to God's vision for you when the noise is going on. It happens when you're alone. It happens when you're at risk. It happens when it's you and the lion. And remember, we're not really talking about lions. It's when you're staring down that thing and there's plenty of people in your life who are saying, you need to back up. You need to be careful. You need to not go there. You can't handle that. You're going to get hurt. And in that moment, you have a choice to make and it has an impact. Verse 46. What's more? Solomon is now sitting on the royal throne as king. And all the royal officials have gone to King David and congratulated him, saying, May your God make Solomon's fame even greater than your own. And may Solomon's reign be even greater than yours. Then the king bowed his head in worship as he lay in his bed, and he said, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who today has chosen a successor to sit on my throne while I am still alive to see it. There's a whole leadership principle there that I can't unpack right now. But true leaders plan for successors. While they're still alive. Okay, I don't have time. Got to keep going. I already got six parts here, okay, folks? If I pack in more, we won't get done. We just aren't going to get done. And yes, Cuba was not a vacation. And yes, at the end of January, I'm going on vacation. So we're going to get this done before I go on vacation. Everybody say amen. amen. Then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up in panic from the banquet table and quickly scattered. <laughs> you can make it look like you got it together for a while. But then you find out where the rubber meets the road. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he rushed to the sacred tent, grabbed onto the horns of the altar. Word soon reached Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. Solomon replied, if he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him, saying, Go on home. Now that's not where the story ends, though. But before we continue on, I want to take you a little further in. David's death is approaching. Chapter 2, verse 1. He's going to die. Give me one second because I need to go check something real quick. Unless Carrie can tell me quickly. How far am I going in chapter 2? 
Thank you. So David's death's approaching. And he gives this charge to his son Solomon. He says, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage, be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations, the laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he has made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. I don't have time to unpack this right now, but I'm telling you right now, there is a thing called generational wealth. I'm not talking about money. You want to hang around with lion chasers. But you got to understand something. If you hang around with lion chasers, you're going to wake up all the time in a pit. Because they're always chasing lions. You want to play it safe? Then you don't want to hang around lion chasers. But the promises of David transferred to Solomon. Solomon hadn't done what David had done. Solomon hadn't achieved what David had achieved. Solomon had not done anything close to what David had done. And yet everything God had promised to David transferred to Solomon. We're not talking about, remember, it's a narrative, it's a theme, it's a metaphor. We're not talking about literal, I'm not talking about my family, I'm not talking about your family, but I am talking about a church. There has been choices made in the past about lions and pits. And we stand here making a choice as a church. Are we going to throw that away or are we going to hold on to it and take a step forward? There are elders that are in this place tonight that you have gone into the pits before. You have gone after the things that everyone said cannot happen. The promises of God that come from those choices are able to be passed down to the next generation, but you cannot have those blessings without also yourself being a lion chaser. You don't get to sing, sit ringside. You don't get to not be a lion chaser and still take the blessings. Verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5. And there is something else. You know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war. But it was done in a time of peace. Staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. I gotta hurry. There's so many times that we see people making choices and we think, God, what are you doing? You're not holding accountable. Please understand, the king never loses track. It is not your place to make the decisions. It is not your place to decide what happens. But never forget, the king does not lose track. He's an old man. He can't stay warm. He's dying. But in his last breaths, he says, Solomon, there's a guy. I've let him serve me, but there's a guy. He 
He thought he lied to me and got away with it. Look at verse 6. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Oh, my. Verse 7, be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahiram in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Then David died. I know we don't typically preach about that. His final words were closing up. See, the problem is, is circumstances are bigger than us, but they're not bigger than the king. He knows how to be fair. He knows how to be just. So David died, verse 10 was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, back to Adonijah, who he had sent home. David dies, Solomon is enthroned. One day Adonijah, whose mother was Haggath, came to see Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intention, she asked. Yes, he said, I've come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask you. What is it, she asked. He replied, as you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. Ooh, 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 ooh. All Israel wanted me to be the next king. See, here's the problem. I'm having a hard time tonight. Here's the problem. Just because somebody says that the rest of the world wants it, what the rest of the world wants, what the rest of the world says is possible, what the rest of the world says must be, is not what makes the decision. The king makes the decision. That's why you've got to be willing to go for broke. You've got to be willing to get out of your scared place. You've got to be willing to get out of that place of fear. Yes, your flesh is right. That lion can eat you. But there is a God who can rescue you. And when the God says, you know what? I'm going to make that happen. You know what? I'm going to help that person. It's a done deal. All Israel wanted me to be the next king, but the tables were turned and the kingdom went to my brother instead. For that is the way the Lord wanted it. <laughs> Even he said it. So now I have just one favor to ask of you. Please don't turn me down. What is it, she asked. He replied, speak to King Solomon on my behalf, for I know that he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem. This is the lady who in the end of life had taken care of David. Scriptures say that he did not sleep with her, but she cared for him. She nursed him. She kept him warm. She cared for him in his old age. This last confidant of David's, Adonijah wants to marry all right, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. 
Uh, go to the next one. Somehow we messed up. There we go. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother, he asked. I know you won't refuse. You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Adonijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem, she replied. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishag to Adonijah? King Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he is my older brother and that he has Abiathar the priest and Joab son of Zeruiah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow before the Lord. May God strike me and even kill me if Adonijah has not sealed his fate with this request. Now, I'll admit to you, I don't understand what King Solomon read out of him choosing Abishag and requesting her. I'm, I'm missing something there to be able to tell you why it is. But there's something within that that indicated to, to, to Solomon, Adonijah has not gone home peacefully. Adonijah has not given up. And can I just tell somebody, lions are not ever pets. You have to kill them. The Lord has confirmed me and placed me on the throne of my father David. He has established my dynasty as he promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Adonijah will die this very day. So King Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. And Adonijah was put to death. Remember we fast forwarded. Benaiah is commander of all the armies. Everybody wants the position. Nobody wants the work. Oh, I trust me, Pop. I'm going to. Everybody wants the title. Nobody wants the responsibility. You did not become Benaiah, commander of all of Israel's armies, for free. It costs something. I'm going to show you he didn't become commander of the bodyguards of King David for nothing. It costs something. But once you've even gained that position where you paid something and you're there and you've made that choice, it'll cost again. In other words, you can't just jump in one pit with one lion and then it's done. It's lion after lion. It's pit after pit. It's choice after choice. And you can't stop believing that God is the Lord of the lions. You constantly live at risk of failing unless the Lord rescues you. Now, some of you are going to run from this. The vision of the man-eating beast is running through your optical nerve to your visual cortex, and everything in your brain is screaming at you, Run! But the life that God has for you what he wants to do with you, through you, and for you. You have to make a choice. You have to overrule that impulse to run. You have to overrule all the voices in your own head and from outside of you that say, you can't do this. It's going to eat you alive. You have to choose to believe. 
Then the king said to Abiathar the priest, go back to your home in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not kill you because you have now because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord for my God, for David, my father, and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed Abiathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord that had been given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. Go back to my leadership series on Samuel. You remember? The Lord said, Eli's descendants will not serve as priests. Abiathar was the last one. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and he grabbed onto the horns of the altar. Same place Adonijah had run to. Good, some of you are tracking. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaiah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the, king's, the king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, no, I will die here. So Benaiah returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. Do as he said, the king replied. Okay. You want to do it on sacred ground? Fine. Kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my, my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and of Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. See, Joab had killed to get ahead. Wait a minute, Benaiah is killing to get ahead. There's a distinct difference. You cannot be a lion chaser when you're chasing your own Lions. Can't be your will. Can't be what you want. God doesn't back that. God doesn't rescue that. He only backs and rescues what is his plan and his will for your life. There's no way to game this either, folks. He'll only back up what is his plans for you. But they're so much bigger than you can even imagine. May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever. And may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab. And he was buried at his home in the wilderness. Then the king. Oh. Then the king. This is where I started, isn't it? Then the king appointed Benaiah to command the army in place of Joab. And he installed Zadok the priest to take the place of Abiathar. You can't, you can't achieve God's plan for your life without chasing lions into pits.
Why do you say that, preacher? Can't I, can't I just get to know somebody and then that'll get me in the right position and then from there I can be faithful and then, and then, and then proceed? No, no, no. What placed Benaiah in the place to make the choice about Adonijah versus Solomon, what placed him in the proximity to be the one privy to the decision of King David about his successor, what placed him in the proximity for the choice about Joab, about Adonijah, was the fact that he was commander of the king's bodyguard. Well, well can, I, can I get ahead by just figuring that out? Can I, can I, can I short-circuit this? No, you can't. Second Samuel, chapter 2, verse 36. Wait, that's not my next one, is it? I want 2 Samuel 23, 24. Do we have it? I didn't give it to you? Go fix that for me, Nick. All right, you all listen while they figure that out. Verse 23 of 2 Samuel chapter 23. There we go. No, I want 23. There we go. This is speaking of Benaiah. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. What's going on here? You could find in the list of people who served David, the king, there's lists of mighty men. At the head of the list are three guys. You can go research it. You can study it. These three guys were great men. They did great things. They were champions. There then was a list of also great people, but not the three. And it was a list of 30. And in there you can find exploits and, and deeds that they did. But what I just read to you, what you see on the screen behind, is that Benaiah was someone who was a part of the 30, but was honored above the 30. He was not a part of the three. And yet he stood as famous as the three. There were those ahead of him, there were those behind him, and yet he had secured a unique position. This unique position, mighty as the 30, Famous as the three. A uniqueness is what set him up to be the bodyguard. The commander of David's bodyguards. You see, he didn't go straight to being commander of all the armies. And he didn't go straight to being commander of David's bodyguards. What made him? Why is it that he was more honored than the other members of the 30? Why was he a part of the 30 and yet more famous than the 30 and equally famous as the 3? What put him in this particularly unique position? 
I already said this earlier. If you want to fulfill your place in the kingdom, if you want to live the life that God has called for you, if Newark UPC is to fulfill what God's plans are for it, we cannot skip the choices that place us in our own spot in the kingdom. What makes Benaiah so unique is that he's unique. There's no one like him. There's a bunch of people similar to him. There's a bunch of people that are as famous as him, but he's the only one. He stands straddling these two lists, the three and the 30. What put him in that place? Now back up to chapter 23, verse 20. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed only with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. And here's the key. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. Now, what's my point? Remember, we got many more services to unpack this whole narrative. But in a servantship service, it's about people choosing to take their place in the kingdom, both in their own individual lives and in the life of the church. you got to understand something. You can't skip the pit. That's where it all starts. That moment where you have no guarantee. You don't even have the promise of past experiences. Now, I can't make the case to you. I don't know for sure which came first. I don't know if he killed the two men from Moab first or if he killed the Egyptian first or if he killed the lion in the pit. But it, what it is is these initial decisions to live larger than he was capable of. The decision to do things that if God did not rescue him, he would be destroyed. That those decisions are what led to him ultimately becoming commander of Israel's army. It's what led to being head of David's bodyguard. It's what led to him being in a place to again make decisions that would lead to ultimate achievement. Now, if you hear me tonight and you take this and you say, oh, the pastor is just simply talking to us about how to get ahead. Good luck, because when you try to apply it that way, God is not going to back you. This is not a self-help book. This is not a New York Times bestseller. This is not me trying to tell you how to get rich. This is not t me telling you how to become successful and powerful. We are a church made up of individuals, each member uniquely a part of the body. The body will only succeed as its members succeed. 
the body will only function as each individual member does its part. There is no line between your personal life and your professional life. There is no line between your personal and professional life and the life in the kingdom. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You are his slaves. Everything you do is about the kingdom. Whether you know this, whether you acknowledge it, whether you live this way, it's still a reality. Everything you do is about the kingdom. How you operate on the job is about the kingdom. How you operate in your home, in your home and with your family is about the kingdom. Everything is about the kingdom. You can't live small and safe for yourself and then come and do what God needs you to do in his body. It's a whole package. It all works together. And God has plans for this church that require each of us to chase lions. Now, here's my words. Some of you responded to my appeal, and you came when you normally don't come, and you may say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't normally come to leadership. I don't normally come to servantship. We're all servants. We're all essential. You cannot substitute. You cannot substitute positions for pits. It can't be done. Because positions are simply opportunities to jump into new pits and kill new lions. That's all they are. Each position presents you with a new foe. With a new circumstance and situation that's bigger than you. And unless the Lord rescues you, you're going to fail. There is no place in the body where, okay, I finally I've arrived. Now I'm there. Now I can relax. Now I can grow comfortable. I can sit. No, 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 no. You are constantly going from faith to faith. You're constantly going from circumstance to circumstance. You're constantly going from challenge to challenge. You're constantly going from that which is scary to seeing and feeling the thrill of God rescuing you. And then that position places you to be able to, again, make a choice. And God, once again, if you'll allow me to say it this way, dares you. First time you walked into this church. Put my title slide up. I'm almost done. First time you walked into this church. You took a risk. Each from a different vantage point. Maybe you were already filled with the Spirit. Maybe you weren't. But you took a risk. Every pit that you jump into, having chased a lion into it, everything about you is screaming, Run but you're choosing to believe God and God comes through for you. Those are meant to simply give you access to the next lion in the next pit on the next snowy day. There is no status quo. 
And the challenge for us, and I can't, i got to close tonight. I'm at one hour, so I've got to close right now. But the challenge for us is that the church, as a corporate body, is at a crossroads. All of our past decisions have led us into pits with lions on snowy days, and we've killed them, and we have the stories to tell them. And if you don't believe me, just go around and ask some of the people that have been around here for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years. Just sit down with my dad. He's got tons of the stories. I'll deal with this in more depth in the future, but there are many of you that have slain those lions. And right now, your fingers are twitching. And the challenge is going to be is that you're not the one that's supposed to be going and slaying lions right now. There's a generation that needs to rise up behind you. But you have all the wealth. That generation, you have all the, you have all the comfort that was bought by the preceding generation's lions and pits. And God has sent a prophet who said, you can't just stay where you're at. You're either going to chase lions or I'm going to eat you. As I was going home today, this is my closing thought. As I was going home today, I kind of said a couple of things to my kids about what I was going to say tonight, just some themes. My son Caleb looked at me and said, Dad, you're going to scare everybody away. <laughs> I thought about that as I went home and as I prepared to take a nap today, and I thought about what he said there. But here's how I want to end tonight. Lion chasers aren't scared of lions. Their flesh, oh yeah, they see the man-eating beast. The message flies down their optical nerve to their, to their cerebral cortex and screams at them, run. But their belief and the choice that's based on it in the God who is the Lord of the lions, overrules that. And lion chasers, they lick their lips in anticipation. Give me a lion. You don't see David, as I preached to you this morning, stepping to that front of that army and looking at Saul and saying, well, I might be able to help you No, you see a strapping boy going, out of my way. I've done this before. Give me the giant. I will not be making that choice. You will. But you have to make the choice. Hear me tonight. You'll either chase the lions 
or they'll chase you. God has ordained it. There's no way out of it. And as a body, we're going to chase the lions. So the only question is, are you on board? Now again, today was a lot of theory, kind of fun theory. As another comment on my kids, Dad, you were doing a lot of groundwork. The most energetic groundwork you've ever done. We're going to get the specifics. It's not just going to come out of this. This is why you got to get the whole story. You got to have the you got to have the picture. Today I started very simple. A man chased a lion into a pit. Now I gave you the background of the man, some of the more details of what happened in his life. But now we're going to have to in the next week. Not on Wednesday night, but Sunday morning, Sunday night. We're going to get into what's our lions? What's Newark UPC's lions? At the same time, I believe that God in His Spirit is already stirring in your heart and your mind of your own personal lions because it comes together. By the way, some of you are thinking, well, it's my sin. That can be a lion, but that's not where God's just talking about. No, no, no. He's talking about you going and taking risks. He's talking about you going and doing things that without His help, you're going to fail. But when you take that step of faith, He's going to back you up. He's going to rescue you from the pit with the lion. You're the one climbing out and the lion's dead. It all goes hand in hand. Can we stand together? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? I ask you again, make sure you don't skip any of the services. I can't, I'm, I'm jamming, I'm jamming to get everything in, so don't skip any of them. Lift your hands to him and love him together, would you? Jesus, we worship you. God, help us, Lord. God, as we push forward into what you have for us as you direct us as this sovereign word is coming from you to us lord god help us to receive it help us to hear it help us to lord acquiesce to it lord god to confirm it to be willing to live it out lord god help us lead us guide us direct us jesus i praise you and i worship you i glorify your name jesus hallelujah 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 praise the name of jesus praise the name of jesus we glorify your name Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it, church. Come on, let's just worship him a little bit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let the Spirit kind of solidify down what has already been planted in our hearts today. God, I praise you and I worship you. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us, Lord. God, help us to move from the place of fear to the place of hope, the whole place of anticipation. God, release within people the hope, Lord. They thought it's been over. They thought they had no hope. But, Lord, you're, you're, you're moving inside of them. You're stirring within them that maybe, maybe, maybe if he rescues me, it can be different. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Encourage us, Almighty God. Yes, stir us, Almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I praise you and I worship you, Almighty God.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I praise you and I worship you, Almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's so much more I have to share. I'm so excited, but I think I gave you enough for tonight. So chew on that this week. I'll see you next Sunday morning. Obviously, we have classes this week. I'll see you in the midweek. God bless you. Let God stir within you the excitement that's coming. You're dismissed.